Today's episode is brought to you by Grams Edinburgh. The team at Grams have been very kind enough to give us a discount code for their meal prep service. So please head over to Grams Edinburgh website or social media platform and at the checkout for meal prep, please put in the code just the tip. Mitch, we've got a really interesting guest today. Obviously interesting because he's my friend. <laughs> and that is John Farmworth. He is a prolific freestyle footballer. He has eight Guinness World Records. He's an actor too, Mitch, and a TV presenter on Match of the Day Kickabout. And of course, he's forever lived in my shadow. Just kidding. We did a bit of work together over the years too. So it was a real pleasure to have John on. If you're a regular listener, you might remember we covered some of his amazing endurance um what would you call them, Mitch? Stunts? Uh, yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, let's still go with that. I don't want to diminish it by calling it stunts, but these amazing endurance feats, shall we say, crossing the Sahara while uh, juggling a football, um, which I thought was quite funny when you listen to the story. He tells it, uh, he forgets to add that he was juggling the football until about halfway <laughs> through the story, which I thought was quite funny. He also cro- uh, crossed the world's largest frozen lake in Siberia while juggling the football. So really interesting guy. He shares his thoughts uh, on training and how his training changed from being a freestyler to uh, these endurance challenges. And of course, talks about uh, how I inspired him to be the best he can be. Thank you. What an intro. So yes, if you enjoy these episodes, as always, please share us on social media or leave us a review on Apple Podcast. It is massively appreciated to help spread the name of Just The Fitness Tip. And we hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 71 of Just the Fitness Tip with Michael Ujoa and Jason Ald, Edinburgh's number one fitness podcast. And this week we are joined by John Farnworth, Guinness World Record holding football freestyler. John, how are you doing, mate? I'm good. Uh, great to be here, guys, and, and speaking to you. Uh, Mitch, one thing you missed out there in uh, the introduction about John where it was a uh, friend of Jason's. And also friend of Jason. We should give that one of John's uh, top accolades. If we're just yeah. wondering why Jason's being overly friendly with our guests. <laughs> you know I myself on. Yeah. <laughs> you, got, you can't miss that out. Exactly. Absolutely. So, John, I guess, uh, first of all, if you just want to introduce yourself, uh, tell our listeners who you are, what you're all about, and then we'll we'll jump into the interview. Yeah, sure. So I'm a football freestyler. That's my main thing that I do. But um, over the years, I've kind of developed in in other areas so I'm currently a presenter uh, alongside my freestyle for CBBC and now I'm doing a lot of online video creation as well so there's like three things that I do but it all comes from the sport of football freestyle which I'm very um, proud to be part of and you know it's the the favorite thing um, of mine to do is, is kick a ball around and do crazy tricks so yeah. that's uh, that's pretty much how we met wasn't it john um i obviously wasn't a football freestyler uh but we met i think it was we were just talking before the show around about 2009 we did a ridiculously glamorous job uh, at the abu dhabi grand prix providing entertainment um 
And yeah, it's crazy. I think we'll probably have to go into a little bit of detail about what freestyle is and, and how you've kind of made a career out of that. Um, I think one of the big things that we'll probably go into as well is uh, all the amazing endurance challenges you've done for charity and things like that. Um, but I think the, the, the first question I had for you, John, a really important one for me, taking into consideration all these amazing sites you've seen in your life, you know, like Mount Everest and Sahara Desert and these frozen landscapes in Siberia. How do they compare to seeing Liverpool in the Premier League? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, painful. Very painful. Yeah. So, uh, so John is a you're a Man United fan, um, I'm guessing. I am for my sins at the minute, but um, yeah, I'm I'm hoping and praying, more praying to be honest, that things improve for us over this season. But who knows? It's uh, it's been a bizarre year, hasn't it? Or oh, like kind of bizarre yeah. few seasons for Man United. It does feel slightly strange yeah. not seeing them hitting the heights that they used to. I know Jason's kind of smiling inside as I'm saying this. <laughs> and I'm, also, I'm a I'm a Chelsea fan as well, so I I have oh. a little, little sympathy for you, but not very much. Um, but yeah, it is a it is a bizarre fall from grace for United at the moment, isn't it? It is. I mean, I was lucky, you know, growing up as a kid, we won everything, so I'm very grateful for that. And like. I'd like to say that I've got a good perspective on it because no one wins everything forever. And of course, we'll get back to winning ways, whether that'll be through Oli, I don't know. I just think a lot needs changing, you know, um, in the deeper levels of the club, really. But yeah, I think when the success comes back, hopefully we'll be a lot more um, grateful for it. You know, whereas I remember being like an eight, nine year old, be like, oh yeah, I won the league again, whatever, you know. <laughs> Whereas now football's completely changed, so yeah, hopefully. yeah, that's what I'm like now with Liverpool. <laughs> yeah. Just enough another trophy. Oh no! <laughs> um, but yeah, that's probably quite a good segue into uh, chatting about how you got into freestyle. I know that you originally started off, you know, training conventionally as most kids do in football, uh, and you took that to quite a high level. Um, Listening to some of the other stuff you said, I think it's really interesting for me as someone who also does what you might describe as kind of like a creative performance sport, you know, um, and we've spoken about this as well, about this great quote that you, I should, probably shouldn't give you credit for it because it was someone else's quote, wasn't it, John, where you were saying um, about the best learning environment being a skate park. Mm. And um, we had a mutual friend, a guy called Dan Wood, shout out Dan Wood, definitely not listening. But uh, he used to talk about learning through play and how it was the, like, the most engaging way to practice. Uh, so I just wanted to ask you really how your experience through what you might describe as conventional football training in the conventional game of football, um, how that differed and, and, and how you kind of segued that into freestyle, which might be more a kind of playful exploratory way of yeah. training. Yeah, it, do you know what? When I think back, I um, like you say, I, I got into freestyle through the traditional game, and it's a bit different now. A lot of the younger lads don't; they just see freestyle and they go for it. But for me, as I was playing football, I got a little bit disillusioned with with the way it was going. I, I didn't actually; I, I, I lost my love of it. So I um, 
I was very fortunate. I mean, my whole life, I, when I look back and certain things have happened to me at certain points in my life, but I joined a, a soccer school um, near Manchester called Brazilian Soccer Schools. And the guy that headed this up over in Leeds, a guy called Simon Clifford, had, had discovered a game called Football de Salon in Brazil. And Football de Salon was what we would probably now know as futsal, but it was a real blend of like chaos and order because you had these drills that you'd practice and then you'd go off and play the game of football de salon which is like a five-a-side game that was just very free um all about being creative and and you know not just doing like kicking the ball upfield like what I was used to and I, I just really enjoyed the the skill acquisition of of the ball and it was more about learning the ball as a tool doing various skills like step overs, drag backs, and then going off into a game. But that drew me to freestyle because a lot of the lads that trained in that particular way, they're all a bit creative anyway. And, you know, we'd all try and play differently and try and do skills in a game. So that's what led me into freestyle. So sort of coming from that traditional environment of like, that's right and that's wrong to this like creative environment. I think freestyle was like, the, the thing that like appealed to me um, because there were no rules um, it was just like you and a ball and it got me into like a really good habit of just like wanting to train with the ball and going out there um, on my own and seeing what what I could do with it um, and that was I think like a real positive thing for me uh, to be involved with I was, I was sort of 14 15 at the time and then about 16 sort of 17 when I got into freestyle as a sport and, and really started to take that seriously. So I always put my uh, initial love of not just freestyle for me, it's about the ball. There's something about the ball that draws me in and millions of football fans across the world. Um, there's something about it. I don't know. But for me, it was like, what could I do with the ball? How could I push myself? How could I take that very simple object that bounces and rolls and do something incredible so that was my initial draw to to my whole journey really and it all came from from the game of, of football salon futsal and you know bits of the traditional game it is quite interesting though that you kind of touched on there john this idea of it being almost like and as someone who does unicycling i can totally relate with this like when you're in amongst it you kind of you understand how big it is for people like you were saying there's kids now that just pick it up as a as a, a sport in itself yeah. obviously red bull of finance competitions and there's yeah. like governing bodies and what have you um whereas when when you started perhaps it was maybe in its infancy and it was just kind of an offshoot of playing football but yeah. there is is amazing kind of you don't want to say infrastructure because that makes it sound like an admin but <laughs> there's, an, there's now amazing kind of uh opportunities for people now to be freestyle footballers and I know a ton of guys that, that are doing it professionally now how did you kind of uh, take that interest and just that kind of want to be creative with the ball how did you parlay that into an actual career yeah oh man it was it was never the plan I mean you know I mean I don't think many youngsters know what they want to do you know when you're 15 16 17 but I just followed that 
got passionate about it and because I trained every day I got quite good and the the school that I was part of the guy that ran it Simon he was like really media savvy so he could see that I was getting quite good at, at you know doing these tricks with the ball and he'd give me like experience to like go and you know maybe do a demo for, for a soccer school um, and then when I left like my education I, I sort of was left in this like middle space of like what can I do? So I actually started to be a street performer. So I, uh, I'd go to Manchester pretty much every weekend with my brother. My brother had like come in, put a couple of like pound into this hat and like just build a show. And that's what got me the experience and like earned me a little bit of money. And I, I sort of took these tricks that I'd learned, put them into a routine and then just started doing things at like soccer schools, football clubs, like say street performing. And that got me, um, it got me a lot of work actually. I was, I was really surprised. Like, you know, I didn't really know that I can do it as a career. I just thought, well, you know, if someone can sing on the street and people pay them, why can't I do football tricks? And that's, kind of how I discovered that people were drawn to it as well that he might not have liked football but they enjoyed seeing you know a ball being kicked in that way or, or performed in, in that certain way it, it, it just sort of had an appeal and then it just went from there and then I remember clearly setting myself um like writing down goals to like you know create a workshop that I could do in schools and I guess you just you just learn along the way and things come to you and you know you, you start developing different business ideas um and a, a big thing for me was when the competition started to spring up i knew that it's a bit different now because social media is is probably the best way to get exposure probably ahead of tv but back then it was like getting yourself on tv or um or, or like winning competitions so I, I set myself like a clear goal to to become world champion which scared me to death and the guy at the time who was just like head and shoulders above everyone else was a guy called Mr Wu I don't know if you remember him oh yeah we know Mr Wu South yeah. Korean master he was this guy that just sort of he did all the Nike commercials he was just like the man like yeah he, he was like the guy to sort of become I guess so he was my my first idol in freestyle and like funnily enough I, I ended up beating him in the world championship final a few years down the line and they need yeah, they need to like, make a movie about this don't they they used to be <laughs> 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 um, yeah he, he was so I, I think you know going from street performing doing various things just, just sort of picking up bits of work here and there um you know at football clubs and actually seeing this guy Mr. Wu was doing like commercials. He was like clearly flying around the world. He was like performing in Vegas. And and I was like, well, surely if he can do it, then I could do it. You know, I don't want to copy what he's done, but surely football is such a big sport and that is the tool for the show. 
that has a mass appeal. And then I started to really believe that it could be something more than just a hobby, you know, kicking a football around. Yeah. See, I always feel like I've had a slightly unconventional career path, but then I hang out with people like you and Jason and I just sound really boring. I love it. <laughs> I love that you just kind of create your own career path there where you just found something yeah. you love, stuck at it and just found a way. And that's really cool. I guess in regards to like freestyle football competitions, then you say there's a lot of competitions around the world for it. How are yeah. they scored and just how does it run in general, I guess? Because I know a lot of people listening to this probably haven't watched them before oh man it's such a it's a, such a tough one because it's always moving and you know you've, you've got the the purists there like you know i guess want it to remain a bit underground and like more creative and then you've got the other people that think maybe we should have like a, a set scoring scr structure but in all the top competitions now um you, you'll you'll usually have someone on a panel of four or five judges that will all score for different things. So things like consistency, creativity, coming up with new tricks, um, like also musicality is a big thing, like how you work with the music and also how you like battle the person you're against. So when I started competing, because it was in its infancy, it was like 30 seconds routine, you'll be scored on that. Now it's pretty much like one versus one. Um, so if someone does a trick, you uh, if you were battling them, you would do that and add something to it, or you would turn that trick into something a bit better or combo it into something a bit more complex. So it's become a little bit more now, like, I guess, martial arts or, do you know what I mean? Like, you're always trying to up and battle. A good example would be... Um, like, you know, like Eight Mile, the film Eight Mile, it's like a rap battle, a little bit like that. So to be the best in the world now, you've just got to be able to do everything and 10% more, um, which makes it even harder now to, to win competitions. And it's also very random. Like, it's hard to get one person to just, like, dominate the sport because it's always moving. Like, it moves so fast, um, which is amazing. And that's, I think, that that's helped it grow and its appeal um in the tricks it's like you know I'll, i remember thinking of tricks 10 years ago and now you know people are doing those and it's like wow that's just amazing so it's growing like crazy um it's so exactly the same for like uh unicycling like i've been in it long enough to to feel exactly the same as you where it's kind of like tricks that you would maybe be the first person like to do them are now the like, first tricks that kids learn yeah. and just seeing the evolution of competition like you say there like things just start out people don't really know how to kind of structure it and set it up and then people obviously get really really good then they start to become experts at it and then they become the judges and then they you know do it for the next generation of people so it is amazing to see how these yeah. things evolve but what i'm really interested in about your career john i wouldn't i wouldn't be as insulting to compare us um but i always felt like for me personally i was never going to be the best at uh like street unicycling so yeah. i always wanted to kind of be uh someone that introduced different disciplines or tried things differently whatever my strengths were elsewhere athletically maybe try and work things in that were unusual and unique kind of like what you were saying before about you know purists and, and maybe the performance element of it too yeah. and i know that, that through your career you added a lot of unique things because you've maybe trained a bit of gymnastics or a bit of parkour or, or something mm -hmm. like that and you've, you've implemented that into 
your training. What are your thoughts about kind of specificity versus um, having a variety of skills across the board in terms of your fitness or in terms of your sport? Yeah, so such a good question. I think um, for me, like in my early days as a freestyler, that's all I did. That's all I did. I'd go out, kick a ball around, whereas now my life is so much more varied. And I'd say I'm like on a deeper level happier because I've got more things that I'm doing which all complement each other. I do think it's important to have... I mean, certainly as a performer and, and like what you what are you saying to the world? It's nice to have something that you are known for, you know, whether that be like extreme unicycling, freestyle football, athletic, whatever. Whatever but, it is you do, Mitch. Yeah. <laughs> Go on, Mitch. Um, what, what, what <laughs> I'm just ribbing him. I mean, I can juggle um, really badly. So does that count? I there know. you go. <laughs> um, but I think the more, um, I love this idea of like being, um, I mean, we've spoke about this before with Jason, with like the poly, like being a polymath and sort of having all these different things that pull together. And when they're all pulled together, they might seem random on their own, but if they're pulled together in a theme, then that's something completely new. And there was a very clear thing. Um, I mean, for me, I think when I, when I look, when I think back, it's meeting and working with other disciplines as a freestyler um has sort of given me different perspective on me and what I do to almost rethink actually what if I mix in a backflip with a football or um like I, I get inspiration well a, a good friend of mine Daniel Lillabaka inspired me greatly about 10-15 years ago when I first met him um his whole outlook on learning was was a lot different and fluid and he introduced me to like a lot of different people in like the creative fields and that just like opened my mind to like you know um what what was possible so for me as like an individual I um I wouldn't want to live any other way than having different things that inspire me to um, to my main goal as a freestyler um, because I think it gives you more options. It gives it, it enables you to think differently. Um, it makes life more like interesting as well. Um, like I think I, there's a there's a really uh, not to get too pretentious, but there's a really uh, great quote by a guy called Miyamoto Musashi, who was a samurai. Uh, he was a ronin actually, so a samurai without a master. And he said, um, "What was it? Know the way and see it in all things." And this mm -hmm. was the idea that actually, when you get good at one thing, you can then apply that to something else. Yeah. So there's value in learning lots of different things as opposed to just being really good at one thing yeah. um, and I think like what you touched on there about I've, I've never met Daniel Lillabaka but I'm initiated enough to know that he is a big deal for any listeners that don't know he's a free runner parkour guy right from Liverpool yeah and then um, yeah, I think there's there's a lot more of that kind of philosophy within those sports, yeah. uh, the, you know, freedom of movement and creativity. And if we were to kind of make that applicable to the listeners who might not all be as talented as me and John, um, it, it's it's something that we would also we'd preach that level of variety in your training as well, wouldn't we, Mitch? Like, so it's not necessarily just about going to lift weights and, and getting jacked or being the best runner or only doing yoga or something like that. Yeah. Having a bit of variety across the board in terms of your fitness not only makes you a better athlete and you can have less troubles and less imbalances, but it's also the variety that you have in your life 
you know it, it brings enjoyment to your training whereas yeah. doing one thing might you know make it one dimensional it's like when I, it's, I think it is the same i mean I, i'm i do not know this but it's just my own i always like try and live off my own experiences and like be quite mindful of how i'm learning but when you when you it's like when you go to say a different city or country like that that's inspiring like and i think the more variety like that it's like trying a different sport or and and being aware of not like being attached to it do you know what i mean like not being too like oh i've got to do this just just enjoy it see what you can learn from it see what you can pull in you know from that into your own space um and i think that's how how things progress because like if you look at freestyle now you'll see in battles you'll see guys that add elements of breaking like acrobatics like dancing it's honestly it's amazing and i still watch like comps now for my own inspiration but then i'll go and watch like the x games or i'll i'll go and watch like um like maybe a ballet or something or a um, great british bake-off that, that, <laughs> that's absolutely amazing isn't it yeah. <laughs> um but yeah i think variety is I think when I was a lot younger, I didn't really know much about that. I, I was very like one dimensional. Um, but I think I've learned that variety is, is is key for me anyway. Everyone's different, but you know, like you said there with fitness as well, like try something new, like try yeah. a different way of 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 moving your body and you might learn something. Um, yeah, like so keeping on that topic then, kind of looking at the different aspects of different sports that you can bring in, like a lot of the challenges and records that you've broken have been endurance-based now, uh, such as the kind of Zahara Desert one, uh, for example. So how did your training differ when you were doing kind of your usual freestyle training compared to that long-distance stuff, being a bit of like a fitness nerd? Um, and I know a lot of li our listeners are. Like how did your training shift when you had to move into doing something that was going to take kind of so many hours? Great yeah, it was tough really with the like you say a lot of the stuff i'm doing now is in endurance um so i kind of had to go from like short snappy sessions um to like long you know sessions but i was always trying to find ways of like i hate you know these hacks and trying to i, I don't think there's a shortcut to anything but I, saying that i was trying to like make the most of the time i had training so for the Sahara, for example, um, I obviously knew I had to train on sand, but I knew that I, you know, I wouldn't have like seven days a week to train. So um, in the days that I were training, I'd be using like weight vests. I'd be like just trying to do as much as I could within that time frame. So I learned a lot about that um, and also balancing the, the fine skill of, you know, balancing a ball and moving in that certain way to just like kicking a ball up and down which can be really boring because you're just looking at a ball going up and down um so it, it was tough to be honest but I do enjoy um I mean something I've, I've I've got a real interest in now is running so I think that's probably come from doing these endurance things I find it like quite relaxing so yeah it, initially it was quite tough to be like oh my word i've got to go yeah. out here can you like, can you just like explain your sahara desert challenge then for people listening that probably aren't quite yeah, aware of it because totally. i know that we've actually i don't know if jason mentioned this to you so we discussed different articles in our podcast and we've actually discussed things that you've done in the past on the podcast so um i know some people will be aware of you from that but if you can just explain the challenge and then um yeah. we're big fans, John. We're big fans. 
No, I appreciate that. Um, it's good, good that you've shared it. I'm, <laughs> I'm honoured. But yeah, I crossed a uh, hundred kilometers of, of the Sahara Desert um, eight, about eighteen months ago now. Um, so I did it over. It was seven days. Um, so it was like a hundred k. You know, basically split up throughout. Um, so yeah, that that was like. It was it was super hard just because the first couple of days I I, I only moved about ten k because the sandstorms and that so it it, it basically meant that I, I packed in quite a lot of mileage because I could only really move so fast while keeping a football in the air I was juggling a football the whole way so yeah I probably should have uh, underlined that point <laughs> I always forget that I mean, you I were actually <laughs> oh yeah did it with a football yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, so yeah so if I was walking or running I could you know it wouldn't be too much of a deal but because of that you know th there was a lot going on with the sand and yeah so it was it was a tough one and it was you know pretty warm as well this this might be a silly question it probably is a silly question like how do you know whether you're going the right way and also can you actually enjoy any of your scenery around you whilst you're doing it because yeah. you, on the football. you enjoy the floor mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I saw a lot of sand. From <laughs> <laughs> the whole episode, that one. Every day was just like looking at sand. But no, I uh, I, I always have a little team around me, um, and you, you know, usually because we we record it for to show what we've done and you know sponsors and stuff and and sort of to document um but we always work with guides so on all the endurance challenges i've done in different parts of the world we've always basically hired an individual or, or company to, to like guide and help us organize the trip because yeah i think i'd, I'd find it hard to navigate that without a ball never mind with a ball like following well, if you ever need any it's crazy <laughs> I was going to say, if you ever need any podcasters to join you along on your next challenge, then give us a Let's shout. We'll do it. Yeah. And uh, you, another great one that I saw you, you did was uh, in Siberia, right? And I'm guessing that, well, you can let us know. Was the training for being in a hot climate on sand different from being in a cold climate on, I guess, a, a, a very different surface? Yeah, that, that was like the the complete opposite you know it was like minus 20 and um, so we crossed again juggling a football lake Baikal which is the largest frozen lake in the world it's only frozen actually for two to three months of the year um but it's very cold but yeah that that was a tough one I mean for that because I was covering um I was basically doing back-to-back -back marathons so I was doing like 12 hours a day sleep 12 hours a day so I knew it was going to be cold, but I knew I couldn't really. I know it's cold in England, but not that cold. But it was more about the endurance, like to, to do that back to back. Um, so for that, I was just doing loads of running, like constantly running. And then I'd go out and spend a couple of hours with the ball, just moving and sometimes just on the spot just to get used to, to you know, being like in that that mindset of just, but you, you know, you're going to be stood up for 12 hours a day moving forward, um, which, which could be tricky. So, yeah, lots of running, uh, lots of time spent with the ball, lots of hours spent with the ball. Um, but, yeah, the one thing that I did actually look into, you know, training 
in in a big freezer room or whatever. Um, but in the end, it you know it it, it didn't materialise. I just sort of did the traditional training. So a lot of it was was down the gym um, and at home. Love it. So I guess on that kind of fitness front then as well. So in terms of your diet as well, whilst you're doing these kinds of events, how did you kind of program your diet? Did you have anyone supporting you along the way? And were there any kind of key factors of your nutritional protocol that kind of helped you to succeed with those with those challenges? Yeah, I think my diet, because I don't really change it that much. Um, I mean, I like current like in my day-to-day life I actually never eat in the morning so I always that I always like it intermittent fast and I even do that when I'm doing like endurance challenges as well I'm just so used to it um so I, I never really changed that much I think because I'm used to training a lot anyway I just see that as like being the norm do you know what I mean so when I'm when I'm training uh, obviously like things are ramped up when I'm doing an endurance challenge but my body's so used to like not eating before 12 one o'clock and then I'll like snack throughout and then have like a you know a big meal at night um I don't eat meat I've not eaten meat for for many years actually um I, I just sort of weirdly like tried it and I was like actually I feel a bit lighter I feel a bit better so my, my diet is pretty much like all fruit and vegetables um but I have a bit of a, you know, I do like my sweet stuff as well. So, um, so I always treat myself because I, I do train quite hard. I'm, I, you know, on a night I'll, I'll have a dessert or whatever. Um, but yeah, I just try and keep my diet clean. I mean, I'm not an expert in nutrition, um, but I always figured that, you know, if you keep track of you, I always keep track of my weight to make sure that, you know, I know roughly what weight I should be. And just every morning by habit, I just like check my weight, you know, make sure I drink loads of water. Um, and yeah, I don't really like take too many products, really. I just try and keep it as natural as possible. Um, and at the minute, I drink like loads of the juices as well just to get like nutrients in that always helps um so i just try and keep things as normal as possible whether i'm here at home or whether i'm you know in the middle of, of the sahara desert or, or anywhere else that's a I bit think more if you're if you're kicking a football across the sahara desert we can let you away with having a wee bit of cake at night <laughs> <laughs> i did I think it yeah I, I remember having like loads of biscuits on a night and stuff just i think it's fine you know i've burnt so many calories you know whatever um but yeah i'm not too precious about it but i, I do feel a difference when i'm you know eating you know purely clean you know just mentally as well you know i, I think you, you sort of see a difference in your energy levels and was yeah, it to... sorry Mitch. Go for it, no, go for it, man. All yours. I was going to say, was your decision to, are you are you vegetarian, vegan, or? I, I, I did try being a vegan for a bit. Um, yeah. I, again, like, I, I, I say I keep it the same, but I do, I'm always open to change. So I, uh, my diet was, when I, in my younger days, honestly, I did whatever I wanted. My diet was horrendous. So I just started to read more about, like, nutrition, fasting, all these things just, sort of appealed to me um and yeah i was just guided towards cutting meat out so i was like okay i won't eat meat today i won't eat meat today and that just kind of kept going and you know since like 2013 i've, I've not eaten meat i have fish rarely but um so i'm technically a pescatarian um 
but yeah, just never really gone back. So I'm not really like you only fish if you can catch it in that frozen lake. <laughs> yeah. You're like the bear grills of freestyle football. <laughs> I should have done that whole thing. Yeah, you should have done. No, I guess it's it's important to highlight that, isn't it? The fact that you've found a way of eating that works for you. And if you find that you're like if it works for you and your activity levels can be matched by your diet approach, then it's all good. You found something that works for you. Yeah, I guess I was gonna say that as well, actually, because it's something that we I don't want to say preach. Although we can be quite preachy, can't we? Uh, what we like to convey is this idea, and you've just illustrated it beautifully, John, is kind of experimenting. So, you know, finding different ways that work for you, that work for your lifestyle. We said there's no one-size-fits-all diet or, you know, exercise regime. So what you've kind of laid out there is, is that you you fancy trying something, you did a little bit of research, it worked for you, and you continued with it, as opposed to this idea of seeing the rock do it and, Okay. Yeah. I'll do it too. yeah. No, it's it's really true that because also like I'm sure if you went to like a nutrition coach and you're like, right, this is what I do for a job. These are the kind of challenges yeah. I do. And you said oh, I'm thinking of doing intermittent fasting. A lot of coaches would probably be like, dreadful idea. Don't do it. But you've actually just yeah. found a way of eating that works for you. And if that fuels you enough, then then awesome. Keep it up. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? Because like I'd like to think that I'm not attached to to one thing, and I would change it in a heartbeat if I felt it was better. And probably what I'm doing, it might. I don't know. It kind of works for me, but maybe you know what I mean. You no, know? exactly that. But the fact you said that it's better, then if that's if it's, if it's better for you, then perfect. Keep it up. Like there's no reason yeah. to change it if it works. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there was a really good thing that Ross Edgley said actually about general fitness, like the, having like almost like a base camp of, you know, various things and a little bit like we were saying about variety. So then mm -hmm. say if you are training for more strength related stuff, you can maybe you've already got a good base level in that, but you can go up a bit in that. And do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I think it's just being aware and mindful of what you're training for and why, you know, what I mean, like what? you know i've never been one to just go down to the gym and get big for no reason but if you know if i was doing something strength related i'd probably need to change everything to do that and i would you know and i'd, I'd enjoy the process of learning kick the world's heaviest football or pull a car while juggling a football maybe. oh you found it <laughs> Yeah, Ross actually is amazing though like big fan of Ross yeah. for, anyone, for anyone listening who hasn't checked out his stuff he is brilliant um his latest book actually this isn't here for a plug but it is actually really really good I've got it right next to me now so uh, oh, yeah, anything. actually is yeah. it so yeah. The, yeah the art of resilience it's honestly amazing you sure here Mitch he's got the book ready he's showing on his screen and everything <laughs> Are you sponsored by W. H. Smith? Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. With my discount code, you can get twenty percent off. Yeah. He's never been so prepared to plug anything. <laughs> no, honestly, like I just, I think it's nice when we find people that are within the industry. Uh, they work in kind of the field of health and fitness, and they're they're happy to take a balanced approach and to help people find the way that works for them. So anyone that does that, I'm happy to plug them. I really like, John, that thing you were talking about there that Ross actually talks about. I believe he refers to it as general physical preparedness, I think it is. Yeah. And it's uh, the way, not that we want to try and plug the Soviet Union training programs because we know that they're not. <laughs> You know, exactly uh, scrupulous. But he was saying that the the way that they used to do it was that they would they would give kids before they had they knew if they were going to be tall or if they were going to be muscular or whatever. Mm -hmm. 
they would give them general programming so that they had that foundational athleticism. Mm -hmm. And then when they got through puberty and you could see what their kind of shape was, what their natural gifts were, that's when they pumped them full of steroids. I mean, that's <laughs> where they, uh, that's where they made them go specifically down that route. And I, <laughs> I think, um, I think yeah, it's well documented, Mitch. So, um, so yeah, so I think what you're saying there about being again this term of like polymath or jack of all trades, what whatever you want to call it, bringing variety to your training, bringing variety to how your body moves, I yeah. think is 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 the name of the game, really. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It keeps you inspired. It keeps your options open. Um, yeah, it, it's it's for me anyway. The the way that I like to to operate. Yeah, I think, and as you said, like not being married to your belief as well. I think is really important. Like understanding the fact that there there might be a better way for you to do it, and if you're open to changing yeah. it, then it's honestly the best way to be. Yeah, looking at both sides, isn't it always? So, John, tell us. You must have a notepad somewhere with all these crazy stunts that you want to try and do. Obviously, at the moment of recording, uh, travel has been made slightly awkward, shall we say? Uh, yeah. A little bit less uh, freedom of movement. Yeah. Have you got any you know, big projects that you're working on currently, anything in the future? Have you got any goals? Because I know you're a goal-oriented guy. Have you got any yeah. goals that really for you, I don't want to say bucket list because that sounds morbid, um, but maybe, you know, before the end of your career, per se, things that you really want to do, things that you would love to say that you've done. Yeah, I do. I, I am very goal orientated. I, I've like a, I always sort of have a sheet to work towards. And sometimes I put, you know, times on them. Sometimes I don't because you never know what's around the corner, do you? Um, certainly with what's happening at the minute. But yeah, um, I, I, I mean, I, I was sort of, you know, I do like to travel to different parts of the world and test myself in different terrains. Um, so I've been thinking about doing the um, doing Death Valley with it being the hottest part of the planet. So other other areas like that, obviously that's kind of halted at this moment in time. But I'm really drawn to uh, again, you know, on the endurance side, is the, the there's a really re I think this is the hardest record in in football certainly in freestyle it's the longest time controlling a football so it's currently 28 hours which is ridiculous so something there's something really scary about that record um probably because the fear of like losing the ball not being able to do it um i think it's quite a painful record in terms of like sleep deprivation and stuff like that so i'm actually really drawn towards that at the minute so um yeah i've nothing set in stone but i would like to um you know imagine you got to like 27 and then you dropped it that that's the that's the worrying thing you know um which is stupid isn't it but i think it's the you know the oh not stupid at all um, <laughs> you've been juggling it for 27 hours you don't get the records <laughs> absolutely distraught um so yeah i did i actually did 11 hours pretty much straight <laughs> of uh to, to help raise money for um some of the nhs charities a few months back and it wasn't too bad like I, again going back to physical preparedness because i've done you know various things and try and top my fitness up every day i, I felt all right but I, it did make me realize that to get to that level i would need to really up my game so more from a mental side and also pushing for a barrier physically 
I think that that record has an appeal and it's so simple. It's just one person and a football, you know, there's no fancy equipment. It, it really is like stripping it back to man and ball, which has always interested me. So yeah, um, that that's kind of on my mind at the minute. John, so, I've got one for you. Okay. And if you do it, all I ask is that you say, Follow at Jason Pro <laughs> on Instagram, right? That's all I'm asking. What about what about keepy up is on the moon? <laughs> I've thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> Speak to Elon Musk. But, but it's how amazing would that be though? Do you know what I mean? It'd probably be quite easy though, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, the, the hardest bit is just getting up there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I need to speak to, uh, you know, Richard yeah, Branson and yeah. see what we can do. But yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of creative things like that, isn't there? I think, you know, I think one thing that has always fascinated me, David Blaine did the, the balloon thing recently, you know, going up, which I thought was interesting. Um, but the Felix Bergama thing was just phenomenal, wasn't it? You know, being able, being able to jump from space. Um but yeah, um, quite quite an interesting thing last year I did. Uh, more for fun, really, was like like freestyle underwater uh, in the Red Sea, which is quite cool. Um, so I literally just like turned up to this diving trip with a ball in my hand, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not this guy again. <laughs> with stones in it. I was like, do you have a go? Love it. So, yeah, I, I think we should probably uh, get you to plug any kind of social media handles, websites and stuff where people can find you and more about you, John. Um, so please go ahead and do that. Yeah, I'd say, well, you know, most of my work goes up on Instagram. Like TikTok's actually a big focus of mine at the minute, you know, a, a lot because I do a lot of stuff on CBBC. I've got quite a young audience. So um, so my TikTok and, and Instagram, my name, John Farnworth, if you put me in, you should be able to find me. Um, so I do quite a lot of uploads at, at the minute. So, yeah, check it out if you, you want to see what I do. Uh, mixing various things, We've been doing a lot of video editing as well. The past few months, um, again, another skill that I've I've really enjoyed getting uh, getting my teeth into. So, also for the tippers, what I'll do is I'll upload the video that I, I mentioned at the start of the interview, which is me and John from two thousand and nine, where I don't know if you remember this, John, but I remember this clear as day. So. John and I both went through a glamorous blonde phase, didn't we? Uh, we were both bleach blonde at the time when we were in Abu Dhabi. Mm -hmm. And uh, we went into this shop and uh, it was like full of fake watches and stuff like that. And, you know, fake polo shirts and stuff. And the guy said to me, he went, can I get a picture with you? I went, yeah, sure. <laughs> he, went, he went, he went, you look like Tom Cruise. <laughs> and I had long blonde hair and I was like, you don't know what Tom Cruise looks like, do you? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I will stick that video up uh, on the Just a Fitness Tip at Just a Fitness Tip Instagram account and also on mine at Jason Pro Union Cyclist. And you can see John and I performing at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix in 2009. Uh, it was good fun. That that was amazing. That that whole trip. Yeah. <laughs> not just it. that. Not <laughs> just being recognised. Yeah. Well, that's it from me, and Tom Cruise here. John, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, yeah, please, everyone, head over to Instagram, TikTok, 
go give John a follow. Uh, you've been listening to episode 71 of Just the Fitness Tip with Michael Ujoa and Jason Alds, Edinburgh's number one fitness podcast. And we'll see you again next week. Keep on tipping. <laughs>